Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, for their fast, free shipping, free road hazard protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of best tires like the highly consumer-rated General Grabber ATX. But did you know they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash credit card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash Active Cash. What's going on, everybody? John Middlecoff, Three and Out Podcast, back at it again. We've mixed it up a little bit. Going Tuesday and Friday, I record after Monday Night Football, record after Thursday Night Football. I probably could have started recording this at halftime. But I couldn't take my eyes off Odell Beckham and the train wreck that is the New York Giants. We'll get into that in a second. Also have some thoughts. Huge game. Really might be the marquee game of the season so far. Uh, Up to this point in, I guess it's mid-October now. Mahomes versus Brady. Belichick, Andy, Sunday night football. Might be a preview of, you know, definitely a potential playoff game in the AFC in January. And do not sleep on Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines. They are not dead yet. We'll get into that in a second. But let's start with my friends. I've been using them for a long time at SeatGeek. Getting tickets online is far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. I've been using SeatGeek for years. I've used them multiple times for different venues. I've used them in the college, the NCAA tournament when it came to Sacramento. I've used them for 49ers games. I've definitely used them for Warriors games the last couple of years. It ser- SeatGeek searches multiple ticket sites and grades every ticket based on value. SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every ticket, here's the key, is fully guaranteed. You're crazy if you don't download the SeatGeek app right now because here's the key. My listeners, you get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code John. That's J-O-H-N, promo code John, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. They have the tickets. But I got to start. Eagles killed them. But the story of the game is is really Odell Beckham. But I also want to talk about Pat Shermer. But let's start with Odell Beckham. I, I tweeted this out, and, and of course... I love my millennials, but, you know, the responses were pretty typical what I kind of expected in my mentions that when I was in Philadelphia, Coach Reed suspended Deshaun Jackson for a game. Last year, Andy also suspended Marcus Peters. Now, the NFL is a, you know, a big business, and they are not in the business of suspending their own players. It's been proven, especially over the last six, seven, eight years, they want no part of that. 
Ray Rice hit his wife. The Ravens didn't care. We, we've seen Jerry sign, you know, Greg Hardy uh, beating his girlfriend. We've seen all kinds of crazy stuff. You can do you can, just endless amounts of stupid criminal activity, and the team will not suspend you. Andy Reid has proven, like, he sent Terrell Owens home. He's uh, uh, suspended Deshaun Jackson. He suspended Marcus Peters on his own. Now, again, those guys didn't commit criminal activities, but he has no problem taking discipline into his own hands. And I would call Andy a pretty liberal coach in terms of when it comes to letting players be themselves and letting them be them. And I'm watching Odell Beckham Jr. tonight thinking, now listen, is he the problem they're winning or losing? No. Is he an exceptional player? 100%. Is he a major pain in the ass? I really don't know if there's a bigger one right now in the NFL. He kind of reminds me of Terrell Owens without all the production. Tonight, when he freaks out and he leaves before halftime, and I know Pat Shermer claimed that he needed an IV. I don't really believe him. Uh, And then he freaks out after Saquon Barkley gets the touchdown. Listen, Eli Manning is their main problem. They're not winning or losing necessarily because of Odell Beckham Jr. But, big picture, now that you've paid Odell Beckham Jr., here's one rule of life, and I think we can all relate to this, whether you make a hundred grand, whether you make a million dollars, whether you make a hundred million dollars. Odell got 95, and I think, what, 65 guaranteed. You typically don't change with more money. If anything, it just really puts a magnifying glass on who you actually are. Uh, you don't become a better person or easier to deal with the more money you, you get. You know, if you're a normal person without money, you probably stay the same with money. If you're a crazy person without money, you're probably going to be crazy with money. Odell was a head case without money. I mean, without big money. He was a first-round pick. He's become crazier with money. Uh, but again, I have he is talented enough that I would deal with. But you got to nip it in the bud soon enough. And next year, you're probably going to have a rookie quarterback. You have to attempt. You've already gone all in with your money. So there is somewhat of a sunk cost. You're in the Odell Beckham Jr. business, at least for the next three years. Well, next year with the rookie quarterback, you have this star rookie running back that's going to be a second-year player. You need to get attempt to get somewhat a hold of this. And again, it was probably a bad example to bring up those guys the league suspended because they were criminal scumbags. Like Deshaun Jackson, Marcus Peters were just somewhat like Odell. Just head cases on the field and never really been in trouble, but just needed to be disciplined. I mean, this is football. Discipline comes with the territory in the sport. And I was thinking, and I tweeted this tonight, does Pat Shermer, one, does he have the balls? Two, does he have the power? Uh, I, I don't know either. I, I don't think he has the balls, and I'm definitely not sure if he has the power to do it. But Odell Beckham Jr. just needs to be suspended for a week just for the big-picture health of the franchise. You have to attempt to help him change. Now, it's probably too late because the moment you cut him a check, you establish that you don't really care because he had already acted like this. And again, this team is going nowhere fast, and I'm not even saying he is the reason they're losing, but he sure as hell is not helping. He created a major shitstorm last week, and then today he was just acting like a crazy guy. Now, he's done that before, And I would also say this, the one thing I see in Odell Beckham that's pretty clear is he's a major front runner. When things are going well, he's great, he's happy, he's catching touchdowns, high-fiving. When things are going bad, he's the last guy you want on the Titanic with you when you're going down. You know, he'd be the first to toss you off. And right now you're seeing that. Say what you want about Eli, and again, he is a train wreck of a player. It's over. And I have said forever... It was a disgraceful pick to pass on Sam Darnold for Saquon Barkley. And Saquon Barkley looks like a future Hall of Famer. Still a a god-awful pick. But there is, like, this is professional football. Like, again, I can, we all act like idiots sometimes. But Odell, like, get a hold of yourself, bro. Like, what are you doing? After Saquon Barkley scores a touchdown, you acting like an idiot? Like, come on, man. And if I'm the Giants, if I'm, listen, to Pat Shermer, nice guy, met him a couple times, worked with him for a really short period of time in Philly. 
Uh, I, really nice guy. You will not meet anyone that has a bad thing to say about him. He, he's not a head coach. He, he's just not. He is the last guy you'd want in this situation. In a perfect world, I'm watching tonight, and again, I mean, he's one of the greatest coaches ever. You'd want a Parcells type. Type guys that come to my mind, you'd want like a Mike Zimmer, a Bruce Arians. Do you think they'd stand for this stuff? Now, again, you can't cut Eli. I mean, you can probably bench him. I don't even, hell, I don't even know who their backup is. I guess Kyle Luletta. It doesn't matter. But the point is you can't allow for Odell to keep taking your franchise hostage. You've already paid him. You have to attempt to get a hold of him. It might be too late. And you may have just, you signed up for this, you got to deal with it. But I think back to Pat Shermer. And I was told by a couple of people this offseason that one of the problems, and maybe this has been reported, I forget it so long ago, that like uh, the Detroit Lions coach, I can't even think of his name, Matt Patricia, you know, he interviewed for the the Giants job and basically told him, no, like I'm not taking the job. And maybe that was reported, maybe it wasn't. I can't even remember now, we're so far past it. But I think a lot of guys had interviewed with the Giants. Here's a couple problems with the Giants. Their owners are sneaky as active as any owners in the NFL. Chris Mara runs a part of the personnel department. He is John Mara's brother. Do you think you want to deal with that as a head coach? Like you being told who to play, who not to play? It's the owner. It's not just just an overbearing GM. The owners are running personnel. John Mara is clearly really involved. And Pat Shermer to me is... You know, a yeah, he had a good year last year as a coordinator. Is he even a great coordinator? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I think John, I think the Vikings upgraded when I look at their offense this year to, to last year. Second off, it, it does feel like he's a little more buttoned up McAdoo, just a classic yes man that will do whatever the Giants brass tells him to do. And now Odell, the the snowball effect is so far past what it started at. It's out of his control. He doesn't have the personality to just overwhelm the room. Uh, and it's just he has no business being the head coach of the Giants. It may sound harsh, and again, this is nothing personal. And is he an upgrade over McAdoo? Sure. I mean, McAdoo was a clown. And Schirmer is not by any means. He is a high-level guy. He's just not a head coach. And when you look at all the head coaches hired last year, he's probably the worst of the group. And that's not saying much because I don't think Patricia's great. Uh, the Wilkes guy in Arizona, massive red flag. And it's not like Shermer is some innovative young offensive guy like McVay or Kyle Shanahan a couple years ago. He feels like what Vance Joseph in Denver, just over his head. And the difference is Vance Joseph was a first-time head coach, so at least you were taking a swing on a guy a lot of people were interested We've seen the Pat Shermer. We've been down that road. It's not pretty. It's ugly. He's a bad head coach. And he is definitely not equipped. Like, one thing the Giants need right now, they are in desperate need of a Tom Coughlin-type personality. Just an asshole. And that's what that organization and franchise needs. And clearly, the ownership didn't really want it one. Clearly, Pat Shermer is not that guy. Like, the Giants, as being someone, I have another podcast, I talk a lot about the 49ers, the Raiders, I do Periscope shows on Twitter, I talk a lot, I live in the Bay Area. Those are two 1-4 teams. Soon, both could be 1-5 after this weekend. The Giants are now 1-5. I will say this, and I, I tweeted this out tonight, the Giants, with Pat Shermer's train wreck, the owners just feel like they want to fire everyone, but they kind of just fired everyone, so they can't fire everyone. Odell Beckham attacking everything that is not a human on the sideline are so much more interesting than the one in four teams that I'm around. I would die for that. I I really would. As as someone that does this for a living, I do enjoy the Giants, but they they shouldn't be this. And it gets back to Chris Mara and the Maras dictating about staying with Eli. The whole thing is just an embarrassment that they, that they may get lucky they may just get lucky enough to eventually draft high again, and that sure as hell looks like where they're headed. But that 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 should it shouldn't be this way. Now again, they might say at the end of the day they end up with Justin Herbert as the number one overall pick. See, we got Justin Herbert, Saquon Barkley, and Odell Beckham Jr. 
But I always said, you could have just had Sam Darnold and maybe not gone through this. Maybe he could actually get the ball to Odell. Maybe Odell wouldn't be attacking the AC units. Maybe Pat Shermer wouldn't be over his head just because he'd have a normal, capable quarterback and you wouldn't be holding on to Eli Manning hoping it was 2011 and we're three months away from 2019. That's the other thing. Like Eli won that Super Bowl. It's it's almost 2019. I, 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 too often, listen, I'm a San Francisco Giants fan and I, I hear this all the time. The baseball team, like, they won a World Series in 2010, 2012, 2014. Well, yeah, 2010 is so long ago. Again, just because you accomplished something in 2010, taking nothing away from anyone that accomplished anything all that time ago. That's a long time ago. If you had a really high high in 2017, I'd be like, oh, that wasn't that long ago. But if you're hanging your hat on something you did seven, eight years ago, like, let's move on. It's time to look forward, not backward. And that's the problem with Eli Manning. That's the problem with the Giants. They've got this crazy man. And I've always been an Odell Beckham Jr. fan. His talent is immense. He is a freak show. I would, and I am I got a little Al Davis in me. I am a sucker for talent. I would probably be okay with him being on my team. But if I was the GM or the owner, I'd need my coach to discipline him. And just hopefully it just kind of gets him under control. It might not. And then we just live with it. But I got to try because right now I can't continue this because more than likely I'm going to have a rookie quarterback next year. I can't trade Odell because I pay him so much. Like, Pat, well, let's do something, bro. Like, let's draw a line in the sand and attempt to get this team in order because right now you're 1-5, headed toward Nowhereville. Like, figure something out. Think outside the box. That's why they pay you 4-5. Hell, they may be paying them $3 million. Just attempt to do something. Well, there, there's a clear... Big matchup Sunday, and I, I don't even think it's close. It's actually on Sunday Night Football, the, the most watched television show in America every week. And it's Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid versus Brady and Bill Belichick in Foxborough, in New England. And I think Mahomes, given that this was, he'd made one start last year, but the start didn't mean anything because they'd already clinched a playoff berth. And then, obviously, this offseason, trading Alex, the hype that surrounded him you know the, the hype became so big and then he didn't just live up to it he, he's exceeded it he, he's been exceptional he's been the MVP so far of the first month and a game and I and I think that certain things in life you, you know it right away with quarterbacks though we've seen guys have early stretches in their career where we you know and come back to earth uh, other guys start slow and then they become star players you know everyone is it's, it's no different than life. No one's path. When people always ask me, like, how did you get where you're at? How do, you, how do I get to do what you're doing? And I think you can go to any industry, and I'm not top of my field, but just anyone that's successful in their business. Most people's paths are different. You know, just because you run a financial company doesn't mean you've got an MBA at Stanford. Just because you coach in the NFL doesn't mean you played football in the pro. You know, it's just... Everyone takes a different path to get wherever they're at. And I, I'm a firm believer the cream always rises. And some people start slower. Some people start faster. Some people are more mature just in anything, physically, mentally. Uh, and really quarterback is one of the positions in all of sports that's the ultimate combination, the physical and mental combination uh, of uh, you know your talents, your ability. I, I've actually heard Drew Brees. And I think he comes at it because he's not as physically gifted and said that like, you know, the quarterback position is 70, 30 mental to physical. But I think a guy like Mahomes, who's closer to like a Rogers, an Elway, a Marino, just in terms of physical gift, when you have that many physical attributes, I think it's closer to 50, 50 because the, the mental attribute is why the reason I love the sport of football, it's a thinking man's sport. Uh, it's smart guys prevail, especially at the quarterback position. It's why so many quarterbacks that are successful in the NFL go on to have successful careers doing whatever they want, whether it's in business. I mean, Elway had like $100 million worth of car dealerships. Roger Stallback is like one of the big businessmen in the state of Texas. Troy Aikman is, you know, the best broadcaster in America. Steve Young is you know, a high-level guy at whatever he does around the Bay Area on top of, you know, working in the media. They, all, all these guys go on to be really, really successful because they're really, really smart. 
And I think when you see Mahomes, you go, is this really going to last? And I've seen enough to know whether he has bumps in the roads, he's not going away. But if somehow, his most impressive game so far this season to me, and I've watched every game but one, was the Denver game on the road. Because the Niner game, he just kicked their ass. I guess I've watched every game. Steelers game, he kicked their ass. Uh, the game against the Chargers, he, he was pretty unreal. But the Denver game, he was hit with adversity. He was on the road in a hostile environment, down late. And I, I think you learn, and, and this is so cliche, but I think everyone listening can agree, that you learn more from when you fail than when things are going well. You just learn more about yourself. You have to, you know, just, it forces you to do more. You know, it forces you to think critically. It forces you to kind of contain your emotions. Uh, When things are going well, you can really act however you want and, you know, just ride whatever when you're winning. It's why front runners in the NFL, just like in life, are usually exposed when things go poorly. And with Mahomes on the road in that Denver game, Things started going poorly, and he didn't flinch. He got better. But if you can go into New England against Bill Belichick, even their defense is pretty spotty, and they can find a way to get a win, and Mahomes can play well or just play winning football, you know, I I don't want to say he can lock up the MVP, but he can gain such a lead. It, again, I, I've compared, and I know Bill Simmons is saying this. I said it first that the Steph Curry and just the Warriors similarities to the Chiefs. Now, the Steph Curry similarities were, it was so clear early on in his career. Now, it took him a little while because he got injured. But once his ankle became healthy, like he had this just, you just watched him play and you knew it. Now, the difference difference with Steph and Mahomes, it took Steph, even once he got healthy, he kept getting better. Hell, I, I watch every game he's ever played. He's still getting better. Like, Mahomes is so good so early. It's like there's only so much room for growth, even though there's clearly a lot of room for growth. But if the Steph's greatest attribute, and I think so far what I've seen of Mahomes, is just how cool, calm, and collected he is in the tough environments. Now, granted, he's only really played in this one crazy environment, given that it was a standalone game that Monday night against Denver. This is probably even crazier because he's playing Brady. He's playing Belichick. I I mean, that place is going to be just apeshit on Sunday night in Foxborough. This is a game that would be easy for him to play poorly, to lose. Like, he's already banked five wins, uh, four of them on the road. That it, It would be okay if they lose this game. But if somehow he's able to play well and they win this game, I mean, again, I, I struggle doing this because the hyperbole of guys that have gotten the fast starts, but I think it's pretty clear the coach he's with, his personality. Uh, because you, you, in football, once you have a certain level of physical attributes, you got to bet on the person. And the more and more, and, you know, talking to Coach Reed and, and Brett Beach, their general manager, like they, they are so bullish on Mahomes, as much of because his ability to throw like 500 feet. You know, he can throw end zone to end zone. But they're bullish on him because of the person. Like, the reason the Warriors put all their chips in the table, uh, in the middle of the table on Steph, was obviously because he was just insanely talented. But they bet on the person. Like, he never stopped working. He is just like the most incredible teammate and community guy and just person that you can draw up on a character write up. Like, when you have the physical attributes, and then you have that, it's impossible to fail. Now, there are other things that are out of your control, like who your teammates may be, injuries, all stuff. There's a lot of stuff out of your control. But when you have the baseline of elite talent and elite character, and you just have some innate ability to kind of shake off the pressure, like it's going to be impossible for just Mahomes to just not be good. You know, can he sustain this and become the greatest player ever? Probably not. But clearly, if he stays healthy, especially if he wins this game on Sunday, like I, I might bet the farm on this guy to just become an all-timer because this is crazy. And he has a the best offensive coach in the league. So it's not going to stop. They're going to hit rough patches, but clearly this is just a shooting star of a combo. And I can't wait to watch.
Okay, really quick before we get into my main man, Jim Harbaugh. You know, when Michigan, it was pretty easy when they had to hire a new coach, when they fired Brady, Brady Hoke. Most jobs are not that easy to find the right candidates. I know a lot of people listening run companies, are in charge of hiring at their companies, are just involved in hiring. Uh, and the hardest thing to do is find the right person because job boards, let's face it, don't really work anymore in 2018, mainly because the entire workforce is on LinkedIn. That's where you have to go to find the right person when you are looking to hire someone. It's the world's largest professional network. People go to LinkedIn every day to grow professionally and to discover new job opportunities. 70% of the U.S. workforce is already there. This way, when you post a job opportunity, your job gets seen by the right people. Most LinkedIn members have not recently visited any job boards, but 9 out of 10 members, and again, 70% of the U.S. workforce are already there, these 9 out of 10 members are open to new job opportunities. So the only way to reach these people is through LinkedIn. So listen, go to LinkedIn.com slash j-o-h-n that's my name linkedin.com slash john and get fifty dollars off your first job post that's linkedin.com slash john to get fifty dollars off your first job post linkedin.com slash john terms and conditions apply just an excellent weekend this weekend uh, on saturday sunday the nfl games we'll, we'll hit on a couple after this but saturday is awesome you got georgia lsu you got Michigan, Wisconsin. I guess it's Wisconsin at LSU. Colorado at USC is actually a sneaky game. Justin Herbert, you know the um, the best the best quarterback, and he surely be a top, if not the number one overall pick, a top two pick. He's playing Washington, one of the best defenses in the country. But you know, college football, like most things, you don't want to peak too early. The key in the sport of college football is you can lose a game, but lose it in the first month. And more than likely, if you want to have a chance to make a late run, lose the first overall game. Like everyone, I thought, overreacted. And I had a front row seat in Jim Harbaugh with the San Francisco 49ers. I grew up in Northern California, so I know how terrible historically the Stanford football program is. They've actually produced pros over the history of the program. They just haven't been very good. And what he did to get that program going is still historic. Bruce Feldman told me once he thought it was the the best turnaround job in the history of college football. Everyone wrote off Jim Harbaugh after he got his ass kicked by Notre Dame. And my takeaway was that game one was I thought Shea Patterson was a tad bit overrated. He's got it together. He's actually thrown 10 touchdowns and three picks on the season and looks to get more comfortable by the week. Do I think he's a great, like some pro prospect? No, but he's a really good college quarterback and a massive upgrade for them. Here's the other thing. Jim Harbaugh consistently has good defenses. And you could be like, well, he's not a defensive guy. He just hires good defensive coordinators. I would say that's true if it had only happened at one of his stops. But at Stanford with the 49ers and now Michigan, his defenses kick ass. And one thing he brings to the table, and I think this is why you see a lot of the pure spread offenses, Chip Kelly's teams were always soft. Oklahoma is always soft. All those Big 12 spread offenses – that there's a soft culture to them. In life, you are like you become what your habits are. And in, in football, you are how you practice. Well, if you practice against a spread every day, you're just going to be a little softer as a defense. Well, if you practice, you know, against an offense that runs a fullback, that has a tight end, that, you know, you do run drills, you're just going to be tougher. So there's a big reason why Alabama's consistently tough why, you know, the Harbaugh's consistently tough. They run a tough-minded program six days a week. So when they play on the 7th, which he's done it on Sundays and he's done it on Saturdays, they're, they're tough. And defense travels. It's why even this year when their offense has sputtered, even in the Notre Dame game, they you stay in games. Now, once their offense came together, they've kicked the crap out of a couple people. And in the one game recently, their offense was off against Northwestern. They found a way to win. Well, now they play Wisconsin, and they're a pretty big favorite, and I think they're going to win. I actually think they're going to kill them. I, I like Michigan big in this game. Then they have the opportunity to get right back into the playoff mix. They play at Michigan State, which is not an easy game, but Michigan State, tad bit overrated. I think they win. They get Penn State, 
at home. Turns out Penn State's solid, even without Saquon Barkley. They can win that game. If somehow they can win these next three, so obviously Wisconsin, at Michigan State, and Penn State, Harbaugh is in a great position to go to that Ohio State game with the chance to beat Ohio State and get right back in the mix for the playoffs. Now, I don't think they're as good as Ohio State, but just the law of averages, Jim Harbaugh's won enough big games. He's bound to win another big game. He, he just He's bound to win that game. Just the law of averages, if he's going to play it four times, more than likely he's going to win one of them, you know? And it, it's going to eventually happen. And is it going to happen this year? I'm not sure. But all I know is it, it's becoming a lot more interesting. And when Harbaugh wins the next four games, I guess five of you include this Saturday night, Keep an eye on that Ohio State game because that game could basically be for a playoffs. He could knock Ohio State out of the playoffs, and then he'd be heading into the Big Ten Big Ten Championship with an opportunity to control his own destiny. And don't get me wrong, I'm a little biased on this one. The national championship games at Levi Stadium, I would love for somehow Jim Harbaugh to make it there. And I think we do this often in college football. When a team loses week one, and they are really good. Or maybe they played a really good team. We just discount them forever. And I think we underestimated how good Notre Dame was. Notre Dame is excellent. They have a legitimate playoff team. They have pros all over the place. Now they have a good quarterback. And I know Collins has been saying this forever. When I was at Fresno State, we played Brian Kelly when he was at Cincinnati. That was the year he went to a BCS game and actually left that year for Notre Dame. But I think people, just because he's kind of a nut and had some up-and-down years, he's a really good coach, and he recruits well. Now, he's a little dependent on his defensive coordinator, and he's gone through a couple since he's been at Notre Dame. But when he gets the right one, they are hell to deal with. And that loss does not look bad. And unlike the Alabamas of the world, Harbaugh plays, does home-and-homes. You know, he didn't do a neutral site. And I give Urban Meyer credit, too. He, did this, he does the same thing. He did it last year with Oklahoma, a home-and-home. And when you do home and homes, like, I respect it. Because you don't have to do that when you're a Michigan, when you're Ohio State. Out, Nick Saban never would, ever. Now, his conference is harder. And, you know, I, I get it. But he, he just doesn't do it, ever. I mean, he refuses to do it. So, hat tip to both Penn State, or I mean, excuse me, Ohio State and Michigan. But I'm telling you, I, I think everyone wrote off Jim Harbaugh. They, they took a massive just dump on his career thinking he was overrated. I, I never once crossed my mind. I, I never discount Jim Harbaugh. I've watched him firsthand kick ass, even in down years. Like, his teams are hell to deal with because his defense is always going to be good. They can run the ball. The Higdon, the running backs are really good. And if his quarterback play is just solid. We've seen what happens when his quarterback play is dynamic, like Kaepernick or like Luck. He's going to kick your ass. If his quarterback play is just solid, like Alex Smith, or like that first year with, uh, well, uh, Jake Rudolph, ran, yeah, Rudolph, I think it, they won a lot of games. Like that's what they're getting out of Shea Patterson. They have an opportunity to go eleven and one, and just throw a massive curveball into this entire playoff race. Okay, let's go around the NFL. I'm just, it's kind of a weak week, but there are a couple games that that really intrigue me. The 10 a.m. slate. We got, a, we got a London game, Seahawks versus Raiders. That, that's not one of them. The Colts-Jets, I, I like watching Lockett and Darnold, but I, I could do more of a highlight package. Vikings-Cardinals, I, I think the Vikings, they're now 2-2-1, two, two and one, get back rolling, kill them. Bucks-Falcons, that game's terrible. But the, the one game, to me the most intriguing game of the morning is Steelers-Bengals. Obviously, Le'Veon Bell still nowhere in sight. The Bengals got to be you know, the the shocking team of the league at 4-1. and one. They win this game. They're sure as hell look like they're headed to win that division. The Steelers, who look like a train wreck early in the season, now kind of got it together. Their offense gets humming. You go to Cincinnati and win, and you're 3-2-1, and one, and then the Bengals would be, you know, 4-2. and two. You'd be in pretty good position and think, well, we, st- we already beat the Ravens. Uh, actually, the Ravens beat the Steelers, so we just got to split with the Ravens. We we can sweep the Bengals, and we tied the Browns, but we can beat them the second time around. So th- this is a huge game for that division and, and for the AFC playoffs. If the Bengals win this game, they're playing the Chiefs next week in Kansas City. I mean, all of a sudden, the Bengals could be the one seed. If the Steelers win, it feels like they've thrown their hat back in the ring, like we discounted them too soon. 
The other game that I can't wait to watch, I think he's actually been a sleeper MVP candidate, and that's Phillip Rivers. I think the Chargers are pretty good. Uh, I know they played a couple weird games early. Their two losses are to the Rams and to the Chiefs. I mean, those are two of the top, arguably the top two teams in the league. Again, Rivers, Melvin Gordon, Keenan Allen, even Antonio Gates, uh, the Tyrell Williams guy can fly. They got a couple little running backs. You don't even know who they are behind Melvin Gordon that just fill up throws sweet screen passes to him. Melvin Ingram's a dominant force. Uh, Joey Bosa is, I mean, I hope he comes back because if he comes back, Chargers are a playoff team. Chargers are a 10-win team. I, th- I think they go into Cleveland and they kill the Browns. I don't trust Hugh Jackson. He just, his team's not buttoned up enough. And again, just back, I you know, I think we've been saying this for a while. I do feel confident. I just think the Chargers are good. In my last really intriguing game of Sunday, Andy Reid dominates coming off a bye. Matt Nagy is at a front row seat for the last nine years of watching as a quality control guy, as a quarterback coach, and then as an offensive coordinator of seeing what Andy Reid does over that period of time. Now, do I expect Matt to do that on his first coaching job in terms of his first year coaching? No, but I do think he understands what it takes to prepare the off week. And they're playing the Dolphins, who it looked like at one point in time, damn, are the Dolphins a playoff team? No, it just turns out the Dolphins suck. The Patriots stole their soul. Last week they were cruising to a win, and then the Bengals stole their soul again. Now I think Khalil Mack, the Bears defense, and maybe Trubisky's got a little mojo. He threw six touchdowns the last time he played. Again, they're coming off a bye, fresh legs. Playing at Miami is not a very difficult place to play. Uh, I, I know the Bears are like a three-point favorite. I, I think the Bears absolutely kill them. And I, I think this is the last time the uh, the Dolphins see a record above 500. And then, I, you know, I talked about the Sunday night game earlier. Ravens-Titans actually is a pretty sneaky good defensive battle. Uh, I, I know Flacco played well earlier in the season, was not good last week. The Titans, whose offense is very hit or miss, their defense statistically, top three scoring defense. They just got dudes everywhere. I'm a big Mike Vrabel guy. If Mariota just plays well, they're good. But they also can just have games where you're watching them and you're like, God, this is a four-win team. And you now actually they were a playoff team and they got a ton of good players. Uh, th- this is a huge – this game has playoff implications. To me, the Ravens, Titans, Steelers, Bengals are just huge for the AFC playoff picture. I'm excited for those. Jaguars, Cowboys, I can't even pretend to care about the Cowboys. Okay, let's get to the Middlecoff Mailbag. You, you can always find me, Middlecoff Mailbag. Go to Instagram, slide up in my DMs, at John Middlecoff, and, and I will get to them. I'm, I'm a little behind, like a week behind. This one, uh, it's a long one, so I'll get to it. This is a pretty good one, though. In your opinion, what is the best balance of an offense and defense in the NFL? Not necessarily any team this year, but it seems like the more prolific an offense is, the worse the defense gets. I understand the league is changing and the importance of having good or great defenses seem to be non-existent. Jacksonville made the AFC Championship last year with a great defense and an offense that ran the ball and controlled the clock. They have a good defensive roster, blah, blah, blah. Can the Rams and Chiefs, who have prolific offenses, expect to outscore opponents week in, week out? Obviously, the Rams' defense a lot better than the Chiefs, but when they played a good defense, a good Minnesota offense, they had no running game. They gave it 31 points. Is there a legitimate formula? I... I think it's a simple – it's hard to be good at everything. Like, I saw A Star is Born this week. Like, most – like, even great-looking people aren't typically talented, like Bradley Cooper, who's also a good actor. I've read he's a great guy. He can sing. You know, like, he was the total package. He he would be, like, the equivalent of, you know, the 88 49ers or something. Most championship teams, even in the NFL – I'd say any sport, but definitely the NFL are a little flawed. You know, when you look at the Eagles last year, their secondary was terrible. The Ravens team that won the you know Super Bowl several years ago, their defense was getting older with that. The last year Ray Lewis played, uh, the 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 Patriot teams that won it, their defenses were not great. They were much more Tom Brady heavy. I mean, they had Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. You know, especially the year that Malcolm Butler picked it off. Their, their secondary was a little questionable. I, I just think in a salary cap league, it's hard to have like an elite quarterback, an elite running game, an elite receiver, an elite defense. I I think the modern day off or just the modern day teams, you just have to be really great in one area. 
and forever the Seattle Seahawks, their defense was elite. You know, the the New England Patriots, they have Tom Brady. He, he's elite. Last year, the Eagles, somewhat of an anomaly because their quarterback got hurt, but their offense was just elite, and so was their pass rush. What To me, you have to have two or three areas, usually quarterback. You know, like it's very hard to win it with the Jacksonville formula. Like the one thing, for example, like you said, the Rams' defense is much better than the Chiefs, but what both have – is if they can, like, both could win the Super Bowl. Why? Because their quarterback for a three-game stretch could just play like an MVP. Clearly, Mahomes can, and Jared Goff's gotten so much better. If you have an elite quarterback, you have a chance in January. <clears throat> now, one major difference is this. Kansas City plays in a, in a stadium and in an area where the weather plays a big role. The, the Rams don't. So they're going to play probably two home games in 70-degree weather. So it does make it a little easier. Now, if you get Drew Brees coming in there, you know, if you get Kirk Cousins coming in there, if you get Cam Newton, like you can lose. You know, it's it benefits them too. To me, the Chiefs one is a little more up in the air. Like if you're playing in 20 degrees and freezing rain, like game's just hard. You know, I mean, you just might, I don't know, you were, Tyreek Hill can't catch the ball because it's freezing cold. You play – the Jacksonville Jaguars and Leonard Fournette's just running the ball well. You know, you play the Baltimore Ravens, and they just make the game ugly. It's it's a little harder for Kansas City, uh, you know, to they're a little more dependent on a good defense come the playoffs just because the, the weather plays a huge factor for them where, where it does not for the Rams. Hi, John from Australia. Quick question. Uh does being a left-hander help Tua pick up what would be the blindside pressure for most quarterbacks? Well, yeah, but then he still has a blindside. It's just the right tackle, right? So if you're if you're a left-handed quarterback, Steve Young, Tua, uh, is there even a good left-handed quarterback in the NFL? Is there a left-handed quarterback in the NFL? I can't even can't think one off the top of my head. I'm, I'm sure there is. I'm just completely blanking. Uh, it just means there's another, there is a side that, you know, is a blind side. You just, it's the opposite blind side. So, you know, in college, most teams aren't going to have multiple good pass rushers, but in the NFL, you know, if you think about it, a lot of great pass rushers, the two that come to mind, Vaughn Miller and Khalil Mack, a lot of the times rush on the right side. So it's actually like you see all these quarterbacks that are playing Khalil Mack. They see Khalil Mack coming at them. You know, if they're a right-handed quarterback, it, it doesn't. Same with Von Miller. It just usually doesn't matter. They get to you. So I, I don't necessarily think that it makes a difference. Just because in college it might a little if you only have one good pass rusher. But in the pros, given how many of the pass rushers come from the right side, I, I don't think it really does. Can you explain how players are paid in the NFL? How can the Raiders give Gruden $100 million but can't side Mac because they might not have the resources? Players are paid. There's just a salary cap. I mean, there's no salary cap for coaches. Now, like for Mark Davis, for example, most teams, I would imagine, the league revenue check is at $250 million. Well, the salary cap is $180 million. So you have every team has the resources because every team gets the rev share. So they have technically the money. They just chose with Derek making that much money that they thought they could allocate their resources better than that. Now, the the Mark Davis giving Gruden $100 million, there, there's just no cap on coaching contracts. You give them five bucks or you give them $100 million. You know, there's no there's not a league minimum either. I mean, you you know, if Gruden would have coached for 10 bucks, you could pay him 10 bucks. And I, I, I mean, hypothetically, like, if he wanted to be like, oh, just give me a million dollars. Like, there is a league minimum when it comes to players. So, there, to my knowledge, there are no rules on coaching in terms of what you can pay them. Beside, like, when a guy gets fired, there are offset clauses. But in terms of there's no salary cap, you can pay him an unlimited amount. That's why when Mark Davis gave him the $100 million contract, it sent ripple effects around the NFL because – Think if, for example, Jim Harbaugh, let's say he won the national championship this year and wanted to come back and coach, you know, the Colts or the Giants or whoever, like, why wouldn't he get John Gruden's contract? I mean, they just so the bar has just been set, but their players are paid just, you know, through salary cap and then it's kind of slotted by positions. But 
the coaching money has nothing to do with them. Question for the podcast. When do you think the Pats will draft a future quarterback? And if it's soon, there is a college player to keep your eye on. Also, do they jump in the best quarterback or a later round pick like usual? I think it's impossible to know. I mean, I would have guessed they would have taken a quarterback this year, but a lot of the times when you're as good as the Patriots, the draft is somewhat out of your control. I mean, you're always drafting in the late 20s. Hell, they had two draft picks last year, but they were both in the 20s, you know, in the first round. They're never going to be drafting anywhere near the top 10 unless they do a crazy trade. And I don't even know what they would trade now. So they're just kind of stuck unless they trade their entire draft where you thought last year they might because they had multiple first round picks, but they ended up not doing it. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I would say every draft until they do one. I mean, their quarterback, God love him, and he's the GOAT, but he's 41 years old. Like, how, how long are you going to kick the can down the road? Now, Belichick's 66, and maybe he's just like, shit, I don't even care. I, I was looking the other day. They have a first-round pick. They have two seconds. And given their compensatory picks, they may end up with three threes. So they're going to have a lot of picks in this draft. Now, this even the second-round picks with quarterbacks are a pretty big coin flip. I mean, most quarterbacks in the NFL that have success, Tom Brady notwithstanding, are first-round picks. I mean, just look around the NFL. Look, look at their own division. You know, most quarterbacks that start in the NFL, Miami Dolphins, Tannehill, first rounder, Josh Allen, first rounder, Sam Darnold, first rounder, go to the AFC North, Dalton, high second rounder, uh, Roethlisberger, first rounder, Baker, first rounder, Flacco, first rounder, you know, Mariota, first rounder, Bortles, first rounder, Luck, first rounder, you know, these Deshaun Watson, first rounder. Like most quarterbacks that start in the NFL are not Tom Brady. They're first and second rounders. And, and most second rounders are become way more of a coin flip than even first rounders that have clearly historically proven to be a coin flip. It's it's hard. You know, it's it's really hard to draft quarterbacks. And that's what's kind of crazy about they had finally drafted Jimmy Garoppolo and he was sweet, but, you know, they just came to a fork in the road and they made a decision. And, you know, Jimmy's hurt. It kind of looks like the right one. But, again, he's 41 years old. Uh, big fan of the show. Will the Giants win with Eli? As we saw on Thursday night, the answer is no. And do they need to pick up a new quarterback? Yeah. And I, I think what they got to pray on now is they just keep losing. And they, they don't win another game the rest of the season, get the number one overall draft pick, and pick Justin Herbert. If that's if I'm a Giants fan, that's the only thing I root for. The problem is going to be is like they play the 49ers. They're better than the 49ers. I mean, the 49ers have no one that can cover Odell and definitely no one that can tackle Saquon Barkley, so they're probably going to win that game. And last year, before Jimmy Garoppolo showed up, it looked like that game was for the first or second overall pick, and it was like, you know, the Niners were definitely going to draft a guy, and I thought the Giants were too, and they ended up not drafting a guy, but the Niners beat the shit out of them in, at Levi Stadium. You know, are the Giants going to lose two years in a row to a bad Niner team, especially now that Jimmy's hurt? I don't know. I, I, I would like to – trust me, I watch the Niners. I don't know why, but I watch every game. I mean, I do know why. Uh, but they, they're they terrible. The, the Giants, for as bad as they are, are not as bad as the 49ers. So, I don't know. I mean, if they don't get the number one or two pick, I mean, are, would it, they've proven before that they will pass on quarterback. So, there's just because a quarterback sitting there and just because they're drafting high, there, there is no lock for for them to pick a quarterback. Okay, last question. I, I got a bunch still. I'll, I'll answer them next week. Maybe I'll answer some just over the weekend on Instagram. What do the Packers need to do to get clicking again on offense? It, it, I actually talked about this earlier on the last podcast because Rodgers not 100%. Do they realize that Ty Montgomery used to be a receiver? I think I'm with you. Ty Montgomery is underutilized. Or that Aaron Jones is actually kind of good. He is. And that the running game helps the quarterback. I to me, you can just bitch and moan all you want. I, I think it comes down to, and I, I talked about it on the on the podcast earlier this week. McCarthy is just—it's just time for a change. It, it's just—it's really that simple. He's had a great career. He's proven a lot in terms of won this Super Bowl, won a ton of games. But it's just time. You know, you watch the really good offensive minds. You watch how innovative other teams are, and then you watch the Packers, and it's like watching paint dry with an all-time great quarterback. It really is just unacceptable, but it just does not change. It just really does not change. Okay, I'll get to, I'll get to one more question. This is a pretty good one. 
my question for the mailbag, has Leonard Fournette's value up to this point been worthy of the number four, four overall pick? Just from a business standpoint, considering Ezekiel Elliott's performance, also considering Kareem Hunt and Alvin Kamara's stellar performances while being drafted in much cheaper rounds. Uh, my roommate is a diehard LSU fan, and it's hard to make him see the sense. Hopefully your voice will help clarify this debate. So you're arguing over it. I liked Leonard Fournette. I, I always thought drafting him at number four overall, I didn't think he was as good as Zeke. Uh, but at, in, I, Christian McCaffrey went eight in, in that draft, and Christian McCaffrey is looks pretty good this year. Now, it, I, I I would not have taken Christian McCaffrey over Leonard Fournette, so the Jaguars made the right pick. But now that he's hurt, to me, what you question is, is he going to be able to sustain? He's been hurt in college. He's now been hurt in the pros. Uh, I, I, I never like, I don't care if they look like Saquon Barkley or Zeke Elliott. I don't like taking running backs in the first round, let alone in the top 10. Because, like you said, Kareem Hunt, Alvin Kamara, Royce Freemans, the Philip Lindsays. I mean, I, I can find decent running backs later in the draft. Some of the best running backs in the league uh, Le'Veon Bell, second rounder. Shady McCoy, second rounder. David Johnson, third rounder. Now, Todd Gurley was a top 10. I mean, you you clearly can get good guys, but Leonard Fournette is not Todd Gurley. He, again, he can't stay healthy. He has hamstring injuries. You know, it's, it's one thing to have, like, ankle injuries or a shoulder injury when you're a big physical back, but you're getting hammy injuries? Like, to me, that's a problem. And he's not a great pass catcher. I'm not the biggest T.J. Yeldon guy, but he's actually been pretty good this year. Uh, I, I do not think from a business standpoint, if they could do it over again, they would have taken him. I, I know in theory they needed him because Blake Bortles stinks and you're a defensive team and you want to run and control the clock. But if you could do it over again, you just would have taken Kareem Hunt, you know, and taken just another player, you know, in, in the top. You just would have taken another player. It's, it's really that you would not have taken Leonard Fournette. Appreciate everyone listening. Please appreciate everyone always slide into my DMs for the Middlecoff mailbag. Uh, and, and I'll see you next week. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy Saturday. Great weekend of college football games. Subscribe if you haven't already, Three and Out Podcast. And again, I'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.